0: Let's take a moment to pray for Jackie. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Dan and Jackie and uh, just the, the sweet impact they have on our church. Uh, thank you for their hearts for you, uh, their hearts for people. Lord, I thank you that they have just continually been such a shining light in our church um, <laughs> for so long. There couldn't be a person walk through the front door that didn't know and receive a hug from Jackie or Dan. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, we do ask that you would continue to be with Jackie in this time. uh, Lord, her body is just not doing the things that she would like it to do. And and Lord, we know you're aware of all the issues there. So we just lift her to you, ask that you would encourage her heart this morning, even right now, uh, that she would feel your presence with her uh, Lord, that you would um, bring healing to her body so that she could be back here doing what she loves, worshiping with us and and uh, being in your presence together with this family. Pray you continue to give strength to Dan as he cares for her. Um, Lord, uh, just thank you for him and for his faithfulness to you and to his wife. In Jesus' name, amen. Victory of Jesus. Amen. Um, our world is. Uh, our, really, our world really likes a God who is a God of love and grace. Our world is demanding that from God today, right? I mean, we, we really want to have a God who you know, kind of just accepts us as as we are, right? We want a God who is merciful and gentle. We, we want a God who loves us and accepts us and is with us. We want a God who is you know, long-suffering with us, will forgive us of our sins. We want a God who is just, he's just you know happy that we're there, that we would take a moment to even consider him. We want a God who will mold into the type of God that we want to worship. We want a God who will fit, you know, the the, the 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 perspectives that we have that will allow us to kind of have a little bit of this world as well as a little bit of Him. Our fragile eagle egos can't handle a holy God. We need a God who builds our self-esteem. We need a God who massages us and encourages us and kind of just pats us, you know, come on, you can do it. We want a God who's happy to just get noticed occasionally, not one who demands that he is the center instead of us. We want a God who's there when we need him, not one who demands that we can do nothing without him. That kind of God... The one who just kind of stays on the shelf, in his place, until we really need him. And then we can pull him off and say, okay, God, come in, help me now. Now I need your help. We want a God who's there, who's, excuse me, we want a God who has no real expectations of us. Not one who demands perfection. We so often just minimize perfection. We take Matthew 5:48 and says, "Jesus says, "You need to be perfect, like my heavenly Father is perfect." And we go, "Oh well, he doesn't really mean that." No, he does mean that. We need to understand that we have a God who is perfect and expects perfection from us, but we don't want that kind of God. We want a God that kind of like, ah, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal if you sin. Come on, it's done. No, it's, we'll just kind of overlook that. We all make mistakes. It's okay, right? This is the kind of God we want. This is the kind of God that our world is certainly calling for and why it rejects Jesus. Because God doesn't fit into that mold. Jesus doesn't fit into their mold. But if we're honest, I think the culture sometimes influences our perspective of the kind of God we want. How many of us get so frustrated with God when He doesn't do the things that we want Him to do? How many of us get angry at God and give God silent treatment because He took somebody too soon? How many of us think, I mean, God, do you really say I shouldn't do that? Really say I shouldn't lie? I mean, it's just a little lie. I mean, I didn't steal much. It was just a, you know, pack of gum. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's just a little bit of, I mean, I'm probably going to marry the gal anyway. So, I mean, it's not a big deal, right? We must stop, I'm not just talking about the world, but even in the church, we must stop making God into the image that we desire and learn to accept him as he is, as he has revealed himself to be. This is the point of Genesis, I think, is for us to understand who God is. We cannot defend God We cannot defend his principles. We cannot defend salvation through Christ alone if we don't know and understand who God is and accept him as he has revealed himself to be. As long as we continue to try to massage that image of God into something that's palatable palatable to us, we will have nothing to stand on. And our faith will be shaken as well as others. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, you all know it by now, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, man. Not in the beginning, Pastor Sean. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) No. (laughs) In the beginning, God. Before anything else was, God. God. We have to understand, and we spent some time on this, several messages, talking about the amazingness of God, the fact that He is so transcendent and beyond us, so far removed from us, so far above us, so much greater than us. I mean, we don't even deserve to be on the same planet as Him, let alone the same universe, let alone the same room. As we sing this song Holy, I stand in your presence for your glory. Do we stand in his holiness? I don't know about you, but my heart was saying, get on your knees, get on your face. If you are truly in the presence of God and his holiness, Amen. who am I to stand? And that comes from an understanding of the greatness of God, that in the beginning, God, that he was before us. He's all around us. He's above us. He's everywhere. When we come to God and try to tell Him how He should manage our life, it's like a worm coming up out of the dirt and trying to tell us how we should live our life. But even that's not really a comparison because we're less than the worm. Yet we are so presumptuous. When life throws us curveballs, when things start to get difficult, when things don't go our way, we just love to go to the throne and start complaining about why didn't you do it this way, this way, this way, and this way. We do that because we don't understand the greatness and the awesomeness, the holiness of God. We are nothing, and we have nothing to contribute. And our pride is so offensive, it needs to be destroyed. Imagine if the worm began to point its finger at you, moralizing at you because you cut off its tail with a, spear, with a, with a shovel. I think you might kind of go, hmm, yeah." In the beginning God who is the creator and the sustainer of all life. Creator and sustainer of all life. Don't understand that don't you understand that not only were we created by him, but every breath that we take is dependent on him. In if at any moment he decides to not be thinking about us, we're gone. Our life is over. We cease to exist. God created us, but he continues to sustain us. And yet we, like a panicked person who's drowning, fights against the lifeguard. We fight against Jesus. We fight against God. No, I can do it better. I can figure it out. I can do it, on, I can do it my way. And we fight God. And he's there, and he's there to save us. He's there to love us. We don't recognize our desperate need for him. Do you recognize your desperate need for him? I mean, is there times when you just kind of go, I don't understand why I can even speak to you, God. I don't understand why I have a life. Why did you give me a life? Why, Why? Why do you even care about me? A psalmist, what psalm is that? I don't remember. It's coming to me now. But uh, you know, what, are you, what is man that you are mindful of him? I, I don't get it. You are so grand, so awesome, so holy. Why would you even consider me? Not just corporately humanity, but me individually. God, in Scripture, in the beginning, God is absolutely perfect in every way. He's perfect in every way. His essence is perfect. In other words, he's got everything that he needs, but he's also morally perfect. He never makes a mistake. Everything he does, everything he thinks, everything he says is always perfect. It's always right. It's always good. It's always filled with love. He treats every person with that same perfection. He is a God who is perfect, absolutely perfect. And yet, like a Pharisee bragging about his prayers and offerings, we too often come to him and say, Hey, look at me, look at me. I mean, that's just a little sin. It's not a big deal. But look at this other stuff I did. Aren't you impressed, God? Wow, I am so holy. Look at all the great things I did for you. Look, I went on the mission field for you. I gave my life for you on the mission field. I did all of it. And it's like, wait a second. He's the one who's perfect. He's the one who's holy. He's the one that's righteous. And we so often overlook our sinfulness and try to elevate ourselves in his presence, yet we are incurably wicked in every way. And it's a wickedness that's so evil that every single one of us deserves condemnation, deserves destruction deserves judgment (laughs) are you feeling the weight of god's holiness yet sit in it for a minute don't run to grace not yet the only way that we can know, excuse me, only when we know and truly accept the holiness of God, does Genesis 3 make any sense? Adam and Eve's simple disobedience simply they just didn't eat they just ate of the tree they weren't supposed to have you ever thought about that like wait a second this i don't know if this adds up i mean like i i could see you know like cain like he murdered abel right i mean that's that's a big deal right i mean i could see them getting kicked out of the garden for that Right, I could see the separation thing happening there. I can see, you know, the toil thing coming from that. But they just ate like from a tree that God said, don't eat from. Right? I mean, is that I mean, who did that really hurt anyway? It is only when we understand the holiness of God that Genesis 3 makes sense. I will go further. It is only when we understand the holiness of God that we can be humbled by His amazing grace. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and following. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, That woman, you know, that one whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, You know, that serpent, you know, that you made, he deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned, away every way, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We see here the consequences of Adam and Eve's sins. Clear consequences that laid out, first of all, in relationship. Relationships were broken as a result of the fall, right? As a result of the sin, there was consequences that came because we have a holy God. He said, First of all, you can no longer be in my presence because I am holy. And so there is a separation of relationship between humanity and God. Humanity feared we see at the beginning and then we see this separation at the end of the chapter from God completely, even out of the Garden of Eden. But not only is there a break in relationship between humanity and individually and us as a culture and God, but also there is a break in relationship with each other. As we see the accusations that come, the pointing the fingers at each other, and then, of course, even the, 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 the comment or the, the judgment against Eve that her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. That these relationships that we have with one another are now broken. And instead of working together in harmony, now there's this battle that is waged. A lack of trust, a lack of ability to work together, and a desiring to rule over one another. But also a third relationship that was broken in, in the garden was that with creation. And two aspects of this. First of all, we see the enmity that would be between Eve's offspring and the snake, the creation, if you will. That there's this battle, and you, and you think about you know this is the fight that we have with our world, our natural world, things like fires, that sweep through and destroy things like earthquakes, things like massive storms, things like volcanoes, all of these weather events and creation events. There's this struggling and there's this battle between humanity and creation trying to figure out who's in control here, but it's, we're not working in harmony with one another. But the other piece of this is the toil that comes. And we see that in the garden Adam could work the ground and it produced fruit easily. Then after the fall, thorns and thistles came up and now there's this struggle, there's this toil. Now work becomes something that's not beautiful and powerful and glorifying God, but now it's something that we wrestle with and fight against. Not only relationships are the consequence of sin, but also death is the consequence of sin. Of sin in three areas spiritual physical and eternal the spiritual is the immediate spiritual connection that we had with god that happens in the moment god says where are you adam and eve were hiding because they were afraid perhaps because they recognized wait a second there's something different There's not that security. There's not that connection with my creator anymore. And there was this sense of fear that overwhelmed them. Sin results in immediate spiritual death, no longer united with God, but it also, and we see here in this story, the pending physical death. It results in physical death. Before the sin comes, right? This is Adam and Eve were created to live forever. And then sin enters the world, and now they are going to die. They don't want to die immediately, but they are. It's a pending physical death that comes. The body begins to break down. We certainly see this in our world today as it continues to break down. And we, This is a reality of all humanity, that death is going to come at some point. And it's as a result of this sin and the consequences that came from a holy God And then finally, there's the eventual eternal death, which is, in essence, the second death, the final death, the the eternal separation from God. That it's not just a temporary separation from God, but that if our relationship isn't resolved through the blood of Jesus, that that separation will continue for all eternity. The third and final consequence that I will see, or category of consequence I will address this morning in regards to sin, is that of sinful nature. We see that here that, God, that not only is Adam and Eve affected by their sin, but now they are going to pass that down to every human being who is ever born after that, except Jesus. And sinful nature comes with guilt, with tendencies, and with a choice. We bear the guilt of the human race, each of us, because of Adam's choice as representative of humanity. Because Adam chose to sin, that sin is imputed into, to all of us. Every human being is born with this sinful nature, with this guilt of the sin that Adam committed. Now, some would get, you know, can get frustrated with that. Wait a second. I wasn't there. I didn't sin. Again, like we would not have sinned in the first place. But second of all, we think, you know, hey, this is not fair. You know, why are we paying the price for what Adam did? But here's the reality. We have to understand God's economy. If we do not have imputed sin, then we cannot have imputed righteousness. This is God's economy. And so we all bear the guilt of Adam's sin. From the moment we're born, this is what it is. But also, we are born with this tendency to sin ourselves. Not only do we have the guilt of the sin of Adam, but we also long to sin. This is just a natural thing that we want to do. Again, all you got to do is look at a two-year-old or a one-year-old and see how they behave. They didn't learn it from us, right? They didn't learn it from us. And they just act in ways you go, wow, that is really ugly. That is really evil. That's really bad, right? Right. and so we all have been born with this tendency to sin that continues to plague us. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter seven about this wrestling match as he still continues to wrestle with it. And then finally, there's the fact that we also have just this free will choice to reject Jesus. You see, all of us get an opportunity. All of us get an opportunity to hear about the gospel message. to hear about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we have a choice to make. And so that's the free will choice that we each have. Do we choose to surrender? Or do we choose to continue to run things our way? Hmm. The consequences of sin are stark. But when we understand that God is holy, we understand who He is, Yeah, it makes sense, right? Doesn't it make sense? Like, just plucking that that apple off of the tree or whatever it was, just that plucking that fruit off and taking a bite of that, that's enough. I mean, of all the things that he's done for us, the fact that he created us, that he loves us, that he provides all of this universe for us, I mean, Adam and Eve had this perfect creation that they were living in. I mean, why would you want to even think about questioning this good God that has done all of these things for you? But they did. And so it makes sense, right? I mean, if, if God is holy, if He's perfect, if He is totally transcendent, totally other than us, and we rebel against Him in some way, the smallest of ways, it makes sense. Yeah, we should be condemned to hell. We should be destroyed. We should be punished. But... God loves us. Now we can run to the grace. But God loves us. For God so loved the world. This is after the new Te- Old Testament. Thousands of years of humanity rejecting God, going their own way. Worshiping themselves, worshiping creation, worshiping everything but Him, it seems like. Moralizing even to God, well, you need to do it my way because I know so much better than you. And look at all the amazing things that I've done. You, What have you done? I mean, this kind of stuff, he has put up with this for thousands of years. And then he says, God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. That whoever believes in Jesus... Will not perish, will not be punished for their sin, will not be held guilty for Adam's sin, but will have eternal life. Doesn't that feel different? Do we do this? Do we take time to think about the holiness of God and the fact that we don't deserve it? We don't deserve His grace, we don't deserve His love, we deserve to be destroyed. We are in a country right now that focuses on God's love and and everything. And God is loving. He is great. He is merciful. He he will do so many things for us. He bends over backwards for us. It's amazing the stuff that he gives us and blesses with us so abundantly. But if we don't understand that he's holy and we don't understand that we don't deserve any of it, then we will miss it. We will miss the point. And our faith will be weak. And we won't share the gospel with our friends that don't know Jesus because we don't think they really need him. Because we really don't need him. We have a God who is transcendent, who is the creator and sustainer of all life. He is perfect. He is holy. And yet, he loves you. He is pursuing you. He is serving you. He has died for you. And he is preparing an eternal place for you. Amen? This is good news. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm preaching today. <sighs> if we recognize, admit, and repent of our rebellion against this holy God, He will. Forgive us, accept us into his family, and give us eternal life. And if we believe, surrender, and glorify this holy God, we will be saved. That's the gospel, that's the message. It's the point of all of this is to reveal this truth and it is when we have recognized admitted and repented and when we have believed and surrendered and glorified this holy god that we will experience the loving and merciful and gracious and forgiving father You see, we want God to be that way at the front end. God, be a little more forgiving on the front end. God, be a little bit more loving on the front end. God, be a little bit more merciful on the front end. But that's not how it works because those who have a God like that on the front end are presumptuous Christians who go around and think that God still owes them something. And again, doesn't share the good news with others. When we recognize, admit, and repent of our rebellion, when we believe and surrender and glorify this holy God, then we will be shocked that He would ever even think of us. And we will be desperate for Him to never leave us. And we will be grateful, eternally grateful, for his son's sacrifice that makes us holy too. As the worship team comes up, as we prepare to go to communion, I felt led last night to open up an opportunity. If there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus there's anyone in this room who has not recognized, admitted, and repented of their rebellion against God, there's anyone in this room who does not believe or who has not surrendered, who is not seeking to glorify God, you can do that this morning. And with it, you can receive the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. This holy God who is transcendent and all-powerful and all-knowing. This God who is perfect in every way. He will forgive you. Not because you deserve it, but simply because he loves you. So if you have not received Jesus, if you've not bowed your knee to Jesus and you would like to do so this morning, let's all bow our heads. And those who would like to pray this prayer, just repeat after me this prayer for salvation. It's the first step into a Christian life, into the life surrendered to Jesus. Start simply with this. So pray these words with me if you feel led to this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I have rebelled against you. And Lord, I am sorry. I would ask that in this moment right now that you would forgive my sins. Lord, I long to live for you, to love you, and to proclaim your name. Fill me with your spirit right now and empower me to live a life that is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, then that's again the first step into the kingdom of God where your sins can be forgiven. And I just want to encourage you, if, if that's you, if this is your first step to Jesus this morning, then please let me know, let somebody know. Don't do it alone because here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, it's a family. We work together. We journey together. None of us can do it. We still struggle with sin after salvation. Amen? But God loves us. He's forgiven us. He continues to empower us to enjoy righteousness. But we need each other to help to do that. And so let's do that. We're going to now go into communion. So open up your communion elements. Uh, Get them prepared here. There's a little wafer on the very top. And again, communion is for those who are in the family of God, those who have bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord. And so you do not have to be a member of an Alliance Church or this Alliance Church in order to participate this morning. You just need to be a member of God's family. And if you are, then we invite you to join us. This is the wafer on the outside. There's the juice here inside. We'll get to that in a moment. But let me read, first of all, 1 John 3. Sixteen. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who you sent and who willingly came to lay down his life for us, to receive the punishment for our sin, The consequence of sin was placed on Jesus. And when we bow our knee to Jesus, then we get to escape those consequences. We get to miss out on the punishment because Jesus has already received it. So Lord, thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. But Lord, as this verse says, help us to now lay down our life for others. Help us to seek those who don't know you and to boldly proclaim Jesus' name. Lord, help us to love those you have in our life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. Flipping back a couple chapters in 1 John, 1 John 1, 7 to 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that again you sent your son, but that Jesus was willing to come and not only die, but to pour out his blood for us. That we could experience forgiveness of sin and that we could receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. That we now can hope that our life would experience some righteousness, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus' strength. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. But Lord, as Christians, sometimes we can get soft on sin. Help us not to do that. Remind us of your holiness. It's still the same today. We've experienced your grace for sure, but you are still holy. So Lord, reveal our wicked ways in us that we would continue to remain repentant before you, trusting this verse that if we confess, you will forgive. So thank you for loving us and forgiving us of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. church let's stand and let's worship together another song or two here and then i'll come up and close with a passage heavenly father we thank you for your holiness that who you are who you are lord help us to embrace who you are Lord, I thank you for the book of Genesis that allows us to just, where you expose yourself to us, you reveal yourself, you show us who you really are, and Lord, I just pray that you would help us to resist the temptations of our culture to just ignore your holiness or somehow to push that away. Lord, may we be comfortable being reverent of who you are, being reverent in your presence of being thankful of all that you've done for us and to recognize that we don't deserve any of it, that you would be glorified. And Lord, also thank you that you are are a God who loves us. And when we get our minds right about holiness, then we can enjoy that love and that mercy and that grace and that love and, and that forgiveness. So Lord, just thank you for this morning thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and ever. Amen. Thanks, church. Let's continue to be in prayer for the fires, obviously, that are going around, in the communities that are threatened by that. Thank you for being here. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.